coming into this space, you carry some of that with you. You carry some of that competitiveness. You carry some of that with you. But then as time goes on, you realize you're, there's no ladder to climb. There's no bigger piece, right? You can expand the pie. You can you can do what you want to do. Like uh, one of the things that I've learned in the business world is often in the corporate world, I would think, oh, you know, this is how things are meant to be because this is how they're meant to be. But whereas here, it's a, it's an open field. Like, you know, um, pricing, how do you price things? Well, you know, you make up the number. Have you ever considered a move from employee to entrepreneur? It's hard, but like anything hard, it's rewarding. Today, we dive deep with Sangeeta Malchandani, once a C-suite dynamo, now the brilliant mind behind Jumpstart Studio. Sangeeta mentors budding entrepreneurs. She's here to spill the beans on her own journey, the allure of charting her own course, and the power of trustworthy allies in the world of business. Enjoy my conversation with Sangeeta. These are my three key takeaways from my conversation with Cindy. So what was it that sort of motivated you in that shift from employee to entrepreneur? Um, I think a couple of things. So if I backtrack a little bit, I moved to Australia as an international student. Um, I already had work experience. I worked in Africa. So my career started in Africa. Uh, I was born and raised in India. My career started in Africa. Um, but when I came to Australia to do my master's degree, my work wasn't recognized. My my experience wasn't recognized. Um, everywhere I would apply, they would be like, hey, do you have Australian experience? You don't have any Australian experience. We can't give you a job. Um, and so my ambition and my dream at that point became just getting a, getting good, a good corporate job. I would walk the streets and I would look at these big buildings and glass buildings and I'd be like, I want a corner office there someday. Um, you know what I mean? So, And I think for a lot of migrants and international students who come to this country, that is a reality they're looking for. You know, that's they come with the goal of, you know, getting a good job, settling down in this country and all of that stuff. Um, and fast forward maybe about eight, nine years from then, um, I'd, I was achieving everything I wanted to achieve in my corporate career. I was, you know, climbing. I was in a talent program at my employer. I was climbing the ladder successfully. Um, and I had everything I ever dreamed of, uh, a great house, a great family, a great career, everything. And I was still unhappy. Um, you know, I was still depressed. Um, and so for me, that um, around 2016, 2017 was the turning point where I was just really, you know, I have everything I want and why am I still not happy? Why am I not fulfilled? Why am I not satisfied? Um, I think what I didn't realize back then, which now I do in retrospect, is I sort of probably my my whole, so, you know, how with the Maslow's hierarchy, you sort of, you know, you're climbing up that sort of hierarchy and at some point it's not just about you anymore. It's about how you can give back to the community, how you can serve the community, how you can serve other people. And I think I'd sort of reached that tipping point um, where my success was not good enough. Um, I, it was important for me, how am I able to help other people succeed? Um, and because in a corporate environment, there's very limited opportunity to do that, I think I felt very stifled. Um, and at a point in time, I was like, okay, you know, something has to change. So... In 2017, I thought, well, maybe it's Melbourne. <laughs> That's depressing me, and I need to get out of Melbourne. 
Um, I went out for a whole year. I traveled the world. I was a digital nomad and remote working before remote working was a thing in Australia. Um, I lived and worked across 25 countries over one year um, across Europe, Africa, South America and North America. Um, And I spent a whole year doing that and I was super happy. Um, And then I came back and then, you know, my company pulled me back, offered me a double promotion, offered me a lot of perks. And, you know, they were like, come back, come back, we need you. And so I came back to Melbourne and then within two or three months, I was unhappy again. And so I was like, maybe it's not Melbourne, maybe it's work. And I think that's that's where my switch sort of flipped a little bit. Um, and I thought, well, you know, I, I, I'm a third generation entrepreneur. My parents were entrepreneurs. My grandparents were entrepreneurs. I was probably the first to go to a job. And I thought, you know, this is my this is my calling to go back to that entrepreneurial roots that I have. So I think that's really where it all began. It sounds like your reason for, I guess, wanting that corporate job and the corner office and those sorts of things, and I guess maybe coming to Australia as a migrant for a, a better life, as they say, but then that journey, that mindset changed for you through that process. What was it about the work and the change that triggered it? What did you not like about the work that was causing the unhappiness? So I'm a very direct, straight talk person. Um, and I think in a lot of these corporate jobs, as I was climbing the ladder, I think one of the things that becomes quite apparent, and, and this is not just my story, I think this is everybody's story who climbs up the corporate ladder, there's a lot of political agendas happening at the top levels. Um, and sometimes you're just playing to those agendas. So you come to a point where you're like, you know, you're you're in a space where you're sort of not really doing the hands-on work, but at the same time, you're sitting at a spot where you're leading, managing, all of those things, but you're also playing to, you know, higher agendas, um, which you may not even fully believe in, you may not fully agree to. Um, So I think that was definitely one aspect of it. Uh, The other aspect, I think, is um, I was in banking. And so when I joined banking, Eight years ago, um, I from that point, I already sort of knew banking was not for me. I don't do very well with rules. I don't do very well with regulations. And banking is all about rules and regulations. Um, but what really excited me about the job was the fact that I was on this talent program, um, which is called the Generalist Banker Program, and they were building a pipeline of future CEOs. Um, and one of the aspects of the program was they were also going to offer you global mobility, which means you live and work in different parts of the world that have branches of the bank. Um, and so that's where, uh, that was the really exciting part for me because travel is something that's very dear to me. I love traveling and I thought, you know, this is great. I get to travel on the job. That's fantastic. Um, so I think those aspects kept me in the job and the fact that every two years, because I was on this trajectory, every two years, they would offer me a different role. I would get to see different things. I would get to learn different things and learning is a core value for me. Um, so I think those things kept me in the job, but I think what I didn't like is the rules, the regulations, the, you know, the political agendas as you climb up, uh, the ladder that is sort of, you know, just playing, playing to other people's, uh, agendas rather than, you know, really doing valuable, meaningful work that changes people's lives. Um, And for me, I think that's the piece that got me unstuck. Unfortunately, I think it's a journey for many, and you're probably a bit too kind, Sangeeta, to say sometimes there's politics. I think it's probably more often than sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's every day, really. (laughs) Unfortunately, 
Yeah, it is. And and the thing is, it's not like there aren't political agendas in other areas of, you know, business. But I think in that particular piece, it just started wearing me out. Like, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Um, you know, there's there's a lot there's a lot more, like, I felt like my potential wasn't being achieved because all I was doing was playing to other people's political agendas. Um, a simple example is, you know, in the last role that I was doing before I left to, you know, learn to do my master's in entrepreneurship, which was around 2018, we were uh, embarking on this transformational $30 million program that was going to be bank-wide, was going to change the way people did things. And I was super excited. And that's the reason I came back from my travels is because, you know, it was this really innovative, really fresh program that was going to change things. Because up until then, uh, the bank was buying off-the-shelf programs from other companies, implementing it for five years, putting money down the drain, and then saying this doesn't work. Um, and so this time we were going to try it from inside and really build things from the inside. And that was really interesting for me. That was the whole reason I came back. Um, and I don't know if, you really, if this is even believable, but I actually put together in the one year that I was the director of of that program, um, I actually had to put together a hundred, one hundred presentations. It might be even more than that, but at least a hundred presentation packs, just PowerPoint presentations, say exactly the same thing in different ways because people just wanted to listen to it differently, right? And I was like, I said this to you six months ago and you still want me to keep saying the same thing and they were still not funding us. They were still not giving us the money. Um, and after a year, I was like, okay, you know what, this, like, honestly, how much more can you do of that same thing when, you know, people just have ego issues or have, you know, issues with each other, which is why the program's not progressing. It's not because the team is incompetent or, you know, we can't deliver the outcome. So, you know, a lot of those things are really, um, these are things that put me off completely. Um, they don't sit well with my value system. And I think for me, that was a very deciding point. And the funny thing is I came, I took a year off, I went and studied my master's in entrepreneurship and I came back because I took a career break and I, you know, I had the option to come back into the organization. I came back into the organization and within the first week, I was pretty much asked by my boss, hey, Sangeeta, we have to apply for funding. I'm like, what? I got you the funding before I left. Why are we reapplying for the funding? And they're like, oh, no, we have to apply for it every year. And to me, I'd gone out, built two businesses, made revenue, made customers and come back. And I was being asked to do the same pack, the same presentation pack again after a year. And to me, that that just, I was like, no, done. I'm over this. Like I've outgrown this whole space. Um, I really, my, like I'm wasting my time here. Like I can do so much more good out in the world. I don't know what, why, I'm putting pres why I'm spending my time putting presentation packs together for things that we've already spoken about, already been approved. So... You know, things like that really bother me, like inefficiency bothers me. And I think, in, unfortunately, in a lot of organizations, there's a lot of inefficiencies and the inefficiencies are not because people are not competent. The inefficiencies are because people just don't want to agree with each other. And, you know, it's as simple as that. <sighs> yeah, Th there's two words you've used just in what you've explained there, frustration and outgrowing. You're doing a lot of work in that startup space and entrepreneurs, and again, you've mentioned about the a recent funding program you guys have been accepted into, which is fantastic. How many come to this entrepreneurial journey with that mindset of, hey, I'm just so frustrated, which is a little bit of a, yeah, we need frustration because it drives other things, 
there's a bit of negativity around that frustration, but then actually reframing that or coming with the, the frame of mind of I've outgrown the situation that I've been in and moving forward. What's, what's your experience around that? I think frustration is real and it's real for a lot of people that are even in the organization. So not just people who are looking to leave. A lot of people live with the frustration. I think that's one, one of the bigger problems is that people live with it. Um, they live with it because they feel like they can't leave it. They can't do anything about the situation. Whereas um, the, the people who do choose to leave are people who probably have what we call a higher inner locus of control. Um, and locus of control really means how you affect, how the environment around you affects you. Um, there are two types uh, of mindsets around this. One is the internal locus of control and one is the external. So people who are of a high internal locus of control, they are people who feel like they can control their own situation. And, you know, external situations don't affect them as much. They they feel like they're masters of their own destiny. Whereas people with external locus of control are people who actually let the external factors affect them. And they say, well, I can't do much about it. Like, you know, this is how things are. You know, they sort of do that all the time. Um, and so I think the people who have a higher inner locus of control or an internal locus of control are the people who leave, who sort of, you know, make that shift and say, I can't deal with this, but I know that I can control how I'm feeling or what I'm going to do about it and then do something about it. Um, so we often see that come through in the in the startup ecosystem. And they're the people who are often also more successful as entrepreneurs because they f- feel like they, they can control things in a, in a certain way. Um, and I think frustration to your point about, you know, how much of it is um, a real, I think, Again, with people, they see dif- they see things differently, right? For a lot of people, the the fear of leaving their comfort zone, fear of leaving a job, a secure that they feel is security, that they feel like the monthly income is is secure. It's gonna you know feed their families. It's gonna pay their mortgages. For a lot of people, that is a very real um, reason for not leaving, even if they're frustrated. Um, and so. A lot of times people who come into the startup ecosystem are fighting for something. Um, you know, they're trying to change something in this world. Um, that may be coming from a place of their own frustrations, or that may be coming from a place of things that have happened to their family or some a dear one or a loved one. Um, there's something really a force that's driving them to sort of make that change. And so unless there is that for that trigger point, that force, not many people make that shift in your own journey from employee to entrepreneur what sort of challenges did you face along the way um i think the first was um as a migrant to this country so i like i said i'm a third generation entrepreneur i've grown up learning things about business pricing sales I've sold things to people even before, like I was 15 years old. So, you know, like I've I've done this. My family is a business family. Dinner conversations are all about business. We're all about, you know, suppliers and, you know, customers and how things are moving. So I think I came from that lens. Um, But for me, the, the biggest challenge. And so entrepreneurship was on my mind very early on. Even when I was doing my master's here, I was like, you know, I I sort of spotted entrepreneurial opportunities uh, up quite early on the reason I didn't pull the trigger on it is because one was you know this aspiration to have that you know beautiful corner office (laughs) in a building but also the other one was um, I always felt like I didn't know how to build a business in Australia 
I knew how to, I'd seen my parents do it in India. I'd grown up in India and I'd sort of seen how it happens in India. But in Australia, I was just lost. I didn't have the support system. I didn't have the networks. I didn't have the friends. I didn't have the family support. So there was a lot of, uh, a lot of things in my own mind that were stopping me from taking, making that change. But I think a lot of it was this fear of the unknown, fear of a new place, of not knowing what's, you know, what's coming. Um, and who to go to? Where do I look? What, where do I look for help? Where do I, you know, um, do that? And I think for me, that was the first challenge for me to overcome, which is why in 2019, I decided to overcome that challenge by doing a master's degree in entrepreneurship. And coming from a very employee mindset, I think for me, the important piece was that um, I wasn't ready to just make the leap. You know, so I was being very safe in the way that I was approaching things. I was, I, I took a master's degree because I was like, okay, I'm going to go give this a try. If it works out, great. If it doesn't work out, at least I've got a master's degree to come back with, right? Um, and somebody in the master's degree course, one of my colleagues actually told me, he was like, Sangeeta, you know what? All of us that are doing this course, we are cowards because we just don't have the guts to get out there and build the business, to start the business. We want to try the safe route. Um, and I, and that really hit me. And I was like, yeah, that's so true. Like, you know, these are my own fears that were playing out. So I think that was one of the biggest challenges was, you know, just finding ways that people, that I could find out about how this whole thing works. You know, how do I start a business in a country like Australia? What is the startup ecosystem? I didn't know anything about the jargon that we use in the startup ecosystem. Um, I didn't know what's bootstrapping versus VC versus, you know, so there's so many things that terms and, you know, just the, there's these, every sort of ecosystem, every industry has its own terminology, has its own, you know, inroads. And I didn't know anything about that. So I felt like that was one of my biggest challenges was, you know, finding those networks, finding the right people who can help me and guide me along the way. The second piece that I think was the biggest piece was my own mindset um, and identity my identity and mindset was so intertwined with my corporate work. I was the director at ANZ. That was my identity. I didn't know who I was outside of that. Um, and I think that was a big piece for me. That shift was massive. Um, and I think it, I'm still shedding that identity. It's been four years and I'm still shedding some parts of the, that identity um, and embracing the unknown embracing uh, the startup ecosystem. I, I would like to think I'm doing a good job, but I think there are still days when I fall into that employee mindset and pull myself out of it. I'm like, not, not like this, like this. Um, so, you know, that still happens. But I think it was, it, the realization came when, you know, I'd taken that break, started my master's in entrepreneurship. And one of the first things they told me is, you've got to go out in the street. So we were, we were building a project and uh, one of our first entrepreneurial projects through the, through the master's degree. And one of the things that I had to do was stand on the streets and interview people. Um, we call the process customer discovery. And so, you know, I had to get out there, talk to the customers, you know, talk to random strangers and get, fill out a survey, you know, get feedback from them. And on those streets, the director at ANZ Bank didn't matter, right? Um, my title didn't matter because what I was building was a platform for senior um, Australians, for senior residents, to get help and it didn't matter that I was a bank employee or I worked in banking or whatever or that my title was director um, I walked into stores to have conversations with them about some some of the questions we had for them and 
people didn't want to give me time of their day. They were like, you know, next time, book in some time before you walk in or, you know, stuff like that. Whereas at ANZ, I would just send out an email and say, I'm Sangeeta Muznani, you know, director, da, 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 and the doors would open for me. Um, and so, you know, things like that had to, I had to shed my, and that's when the realization hit. Yeah. I mean, you know, my corporate identity means nothing on the streets. Um, it means nothing in outside of the banking world or outside of the corporate world. Um, and I think those sort of things are challenges or roadblocks that I had to overcome for my own mindset to be able to sort of, you know, really lean into the entrepreneurial pathway. Some great examples there, Sangeet, from taking some notes to unpack at various times, but let's just focus on the the couple of things you mentioned, particularly about finding people and the networks as a point one and then that identity piece, point two. Point one, finding the networks, the mentors, the people. How important was that and what did you do to overcome that challenge? Um. I think I often, I often say this, and I say this to a lot of, uh, I used to say this in the corporates, and I say this even now in the startup ecosystem. I think there are some transferable sort of um, uh, skill sets around between the two ecosystems. But I think the one thing that I say to people often is it's not what you know that's going to get you where you want to go. It's who you know. And even more than who you know, it's about who knows you that's going to get you farther along. So I think people and networks are the most important thing when it comes to building any kind of a identity or business or whatever you're trying to do, I think you can't do it by yourself. You need people to do it with you. You need people to um, sponsor you, to champion you, to support you, to guide you. So there's different roles that people come and play um, in your journey as an entrepreneur or even as an employee, but also as an entrepreneur, there's different people that come in and out to play roles and you've got to pick those people really wisely. Um, and I, and because it's who, what, whose advice are you listening to, right? So that matters as well. And I think for me, um, that journey started when I started my master's in entrepreneurship. Um, I was introduced to some very interesting people through that degree. It's a 10-month degree or it was, now it's a bit different. But it's a one and a half year degree crowned into, it was one and a half years crowned into 10 months. It was super intensive. It was, you know, we got to meet, like it just opened up the whole world of the startup ecosystem for me. Um, and then I had this whole palette of people that I could pick and choose from, people that I could work with and test and learn from, with. Um, and there were sometimes, you know, they were just not the right fit as mentors or as you know, supporters. Um, and, you know, I sussed that out pretty quickly because I had the experience of working with people in my corporate world. I could sort of, you know, work, I could figure out really quickly, you know, if this is the person that will work for me and like as, as a partner or as a co-founder or as a, you know, mentor. So all of those things um, played out. And so I did have some co-founders through that journey in, that, in those 10 months, um, some that worked well, some didn't work well. I did have, um, you know, mentors from the eco startup ecosystem. So they were all introduced to me through that uh, course. But since I've sort of started doing it on my own, I think it's just been a lot of me having to find my ways. Um, there's people that I follow on LinkedIn, for example, that I, I follow their work, I see what they're doing. And if, you know, the value system resonates with me, 
Um, I think that's important for me is the values really have to align. Um, and this is something I've also learned on the journey is, you know, you need people working with you. The vision needs to align. The values need to align. Um, and I also tell people who come to coach with me, I'm like, let's do a test run. Um, you know, don't just pick me as a coach. And I don't want to commit to just, you know, mentoring you and coaching you for a long period of time. Let's do a test run for four weeks. And if we feel like we're the right fit, we can then talk about the next steps and the next stages. So um, I didn't do that before. So when originally I was coaching, I would just, you know, say, OK, let's let's do six months together or let's do, you know, a year's program together. Um, but if you're not working with the right people, it can really fr- it can really frustrate you and can really sort of drain you as well, your energies. And so as an entrepreneur, especially because I run multiple businesses as well, I, I need to choose very wisely where I spend my energy and who I spend it with. Um, and I love working with people who want to sort of, you know, um, achieve the same things that I want to achieve or at least, you know, are walking the same path or are keen to sort of, you know, uh, do things together in a collaborative manner, um, you know, to be, to listen and to be listened to, I think are really important in any uh, relationship and whether that's as a mentor, mentee, whether that's as a co-founder, whether that's as a supporter. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, value in making sure people's opinions are listened to, but you're also, you know, putting what you want out there. So there's a lot of things I've learned along the way, but to, to just to answer your question, I think it's it's really um, watching people, working with them, doing a bit of a test drive before you commit to anything longer term. I think that's... Um, where I find that I'm able to pick the people that I want to support, uh, that I want to support and that also I want supporting me on the journey. Yeah, pretty sound advice. It sounds like the initial, can I say, limiting beliefs in relation to linked to doing the masters, it, it worked out pretty well for you because it opened up some doors and some opportunities with people. If some, let's narrow this down a bit. If you were to give advice today, and you do give advice to to people today in this employed entrepreneurship journey, and they're not looking, it doesn't fit them to do masters. What's your advice to them to hone in on the networking, the building the network around you and, and seeking out mentors? What what do you tell them? Um, so like I said, one is, you know, if you want someone to be your mentor or be an advisor to you, um, follow them. Follow their work first, you know, check out everything about them. You know, today everybody's online. There's, you know, a lot of content available online from people. Um, So make sure, you know, you read up on the content, make sure you look at what they're doing, follow them for a bit, for a few months to see if, you know, it resonates and and if what they're putting out, they can actually be helpful to you or not. Um, I think that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is um, get out of your, get out from behind the screens. I think I see far too many operators, far too many founders trying to build things behind the scenes and sit down on the computer for hours on end building things. I think it doesn't matter how much you build things unless you're out there talking to people and, you know, um, from two angles. One is from a, from a customer lens and doing your customer discovery, really understanding what people want before you build it. Um, and on the other end, also then finding the right network and the support that can actually help you amplify what you're doing. Um, and I think that's really important is I think a lot of founders don't understand the value of amplifying their own work. Um, and so these are things I normally coach people around is, you know, getting out there, do at least two networking events a week, you know, 
there is a startup ecosystem no matter where you are in the world the, you know startup is like the is the thing that people are talking about all the time now it, it's not like it's a new thing i think business businesses have existed for many 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 years um so business business is not a new thing um but i think now there's a lot more focus on startup communities or business communities and my advice will be to get into those communities to start understanding who's who in the zoo um start playing with them a little bit start sort of collaborating doing some partnerships testing the waters seeing what works what doesn't work because i think again there's no right or wrong and what may fit for me may not fit for you um right and so it's it's a very individual thing there's no one size fits all there's no one mentor that works for everybody in the world like different people work for different people and so you've just got to find the right match for you um but that comes through a bit of testing and learning that comes through putting yourself out there and finding the right people so i think the online piece is great but i think the physical networking people need to get out there and physically meet people i think people get a sense for who you are and want to help you if you put yourself out there um but i see far too many people reach out to me on linkedin as well they'd follow me for like 6 months and then they'd be like hi singh i've been following you will you mentor me and i'm like but i don't know anything about you right so let's jump on a call let's talk about it like you not make made yourself known to me for me to say yes i want to mentor you or you know i get advisory board requests and people coming up to me i'm trying to build a business you know i've seen your content would you be on my advisory board i'm like but i don't even know what you're trying to do you know what i'm trying to do you know what i'm building but i know nothing about you because you haven't made yourself known enough to me for us to say yeah let's get into a partnership or let's get into a working relationship of some sorts um so i think it's very important for people to realize that they have to get out there and put themselves out there both online and offline i think both are equally important yeah i think that's a critical point that i take just putting yourself out there but being deliberate as well and not going with the mindset of taking going with the mindset of giving and and engaging with people's content and and learning about that and that that puts you out there as a person who is willing to be open and learn and and all those sorts of things and puts you in if you're looking to get mentored by Sangeeta as example that if you're hearing and seeing these interesting and thoughtful type questions and stuff that again you want to be challenged as well so those sort of things people that are open to mentoring are encouraged by those sort of interactions aren't they yeah Let's look at the second point you talked about your identity that's a really interesting point uh and can certainly relate to it finding yourself you also said that that's something you're still working through it's been 4 years plus in the making tell us a bit more about that journey um i think i'm always finding myself there's um i i i think i'm not, never feeling like you know i'm there yet so i think for me it's a, it's a journey rather than tell me not the perfect human yet We no I don't think anyone is. <laughs> I I don't think anyone. Me either. Me And and I, and I love learning. I think for me that's one of my core values is the love of learning and you know I'm curious. I like learning new things. I also am a very firm believer it's one life, one world, see it all, do it all. Um you know I don't think there's uh and and that's why I think you know it was when 
had sort of come to that point in my corporate career, it was time for me to, you know, I felt like, yeah, okay, I've done this corporate thing. And if I want to do it again, I have enough qualifications, enough of a skill set to come back and do it at any other point in time. But right now, I just want my, the itch that I have is the entrepreneurial itch. And I don't know how long this will last. It may, it may last forever. It may last for a few years. It may last for, you know, two years more. I don't know. But the thing is, you know, I like, I like to go with the flow a little bit as well. So it's not as structured. Um, I like to set goals and I have ambitions. I'm very ambitious. But my ambitions are not tied to like, you know, I wasn't a pathway to CEO. But, you know, to me, it was like, okay, after I become the CEO, then what? You know, so what if I become the CEO? Um, and I think that question that I keep asking myself really helps. It's like, you know, okay, so right now I'm on a mission to empower 1 million entrepreneurs and professionals globally. Um, and I ask myself that question too. Okay, so once you hit that, then what? Um, you know, and so the, que the, thing, the thing for me is, well, if I hit that, I'm empowering a million, but they may go on to empower even more. So, you know, that's an, that's like a, 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 an impact that I'm creating that's bigger than just me. Um, and that's the piece that excites me about it today. Ask me in 10 years time, I might say something else. Um, <laughs> but, but I think that's the thing. I think as human beings, we're always evolving. We're always learning. We're always, you know, changing. And I, th I, I love change. I love embracing change. I love embracing all newness that comes with it. Um, so as an identity piece for me then is my identity, because for the longest time I was in the corporates, like I said, my identity was my title. And, you know, that was something that I had learned to embrace as I was climbing that path. Um, and because I was pretty much working around the clock, um, you know, I would wake up and open my work emails first thing, even while still lying in bed to, you know, when I go to sleep, the last thing I was checking was my work emails. Um, and responding to work emails and, you know, so I was pretty much around the clock. There were nights where I wouldn't sleep and I would, you know, wake up at 2 a.m. and I'd be like, okay, what do I do? Pick up my work emails. Um, so my identity was tied to my work. It was so much about my work. Um, so when I sort of stepped out, like I said, that that instance of being on the streets and re that first realization that my corporate identity means nothing in the big world out there. Um, and then slowly from there, it was like, so who am I? What am I trying to do? Um, you know, what am I trying to achieve? Um, often when you're working in organizations, you start adopting the value system of that organization. You start adopting the, um, the mindset of the people you're working with. Um, you start adopting the, um, the identity that they want you to have. Um, and so, and the missions and the visions of the business of the organization. Um, so when I started my own business, I was like, so what is my vision? You know, and what do I want to create? What do I want to leave as a legacy in this world? If I want to leave one, what are some, what do I believe in? What is my own value system? Um, and I'm learning, like, you know, I'm still learning as I work with more people, as I work with more projects and I do more things. I'm starting to really see what I like, what I don't like. Um, you know, starting to understand this works for me, this doesn't work for me. In the corporate setting, you can't choose uh, your bosses, you can't choose your colleagues, you can't choose the people that you work with. Here, I'm very conscious of the people that I work with. I'm very conscious of the people that 
I like working with. And if I work with some people and I don't like it, I'm very quick to say, you know, this was great. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot, but I don't think this is working out for us. Um, and I think being able to do that, having the freedom to do that, to be able to work with who you want to work with, um, you know, working with people who you know uplift you and uplift your energy rather than working with people that drain your energy and not, and you can't do anything about it um, because, you know, you're in that organization, you're in that structure. You can't change much about it. You can change some things, but there's not a lot of control that you have in choosing who you're working with. Your stakeholders, your partners, your colleagues, your peers, there's not a lot of choice. You can perhaps choose the people you want in your team. When I was leading teams, I could, you know, hire and fire people, but there's other parts around that that you can't choose. Um, whereas here I can choose. Um, I decide if I want to take on a project or I don't want to take on a project. I take on a project if I feel like it's, if I, if I will enjoy working with those people and learn something from those people, but not because of the project itself. It's more the people that's important for me now. So, you know, picking and choosing who I work with, um, understanding how to do that, um, I think is also part of my identity now. So, you know, these bits and pieces make up your identity. And I think as I do more and more of it, I learn more about myself as much as I learn about working in this space and doing things. Um, so it's it's a constant journey of, you know, shedding some of those identity factors. Like, you know, in the, in the corporates, I'm, I was a perfectionist. Like I would want to have things really perfect, do them, you know, to the T. Whereas here I've let go of that. Um, you know, I've let, I've let go of being so much of a perfectionist, you know just get things done. Like, I think I value getting things done more than I value being perfect. Um, whereas in the corporates, I was, you know, I was very conscious of, you know, whether I was doing the right thing, whether I was having the right, you know, when this sort of, you know, font is right, this sort of alignment is right. Um, so those sort of things don't matter to me anymore. And I've learned that over time. It's like, yeah, perfection matters to me. I like to have things well presented, but they, you know, it's okay if there's a typo in there. Um, you know, it's okay if there's a bit of a, you know, um, as long as people are getting the message, you know, the main outcome is being achieved. So those sort of things, I think, you know, I still shed once in a while. I still try and like control is another thing as, um, you know, as somebody who's leading large teams across 33 countries, 120 people, control was another thing that was so important. Like, you know, just making sure everything goes through, like being a gatekeeper of sorts, whereas here now. I, I try and let go of that, you know, I just let people do what they need to do. Um, and then, you know, and, and building teams, building my own teams has been an experience, right? So just getting people, giving people the, the autonomy, empowering them. How do I make them feel like they own this as much as I own it rather than me feeling like I'm in control? Um, so those sort of things, you know, you shed slowly. It takes time. <laughs> There's a lot of conditioning that has to be unconditioned, so... Certainly. Have you put much thought into the mindset shift that you needed when you think about, you, know, you talked about control, perfectionism as an employee and in those employee type roles and senior roles, but to the entrepreneurship and you're saying letting go. What's the mindset shift that has happened or has had to happen? I think um, I'm more invested in other people's success as much as I'm invested in my own. Um, I think for me in the corporate, it was a lot about me. And I feel like that's an environment that's fostered in the corporate as well, where people are, um, 
you know, you're sort of always looking for that next promotion or the next move or the next, you know, um, next sort of climb. Um, and I feel like people then are doing things with that motive in mind, whereas here there's no ladder to climb. Um, you know, there's nothing for me to fight for. Um, and I feel the like I, these concepts I learned in the corporate, which is about expanding the pie. It's not a limited pie. When we talk about negotiations, when you talk about influence, like it's you're not limited. There's there's a, you know you can expand the pie. There's more and da da da. But in reality, that's not how it plays out in the corporates. People always feel there's a limited pie. There's this you know I want to beat this next person to the next promotion, or I want to beat this person on this. Uh, beat this person on this project or, you know, things like that. There's a lot of competitiveness. Um, whereas I feel like here in this space, I'm not competing with anybody as such. I'm competing with myself. I just want to be better than who I was yesterday. Um, you know, I want to be a better coach. I want to be a better mentor to people. I want to be a better program um, designer. I want to be able to deliver better outcomes for people. Um, and for me, you know, the that doesn't it doesn't matter anymore that I need to be the face of things if I'm working with a team I think for me I would love for them to be the face of things I would love for them to sort of you know own things and be what it needs to be as long as I know that my efforts are helping create that impact that I wanted to create um and so a lot of those sort of aspects um the mindset shift around that is it's it took trial and error I think you know like like I said like moving out coming into this space you carry some of that with you you carry some of that competitiveness you carry some of that with you but then as time goes on you realize there's no ladder to climb there's no bigger piece right you can expand the pie you can you can do what you want to do like a lot of the things that I've learned in the business world is often in the corporate world I would think oh you know this is how things are meant to be because this is how they're meant to be but whereas here it's it's an open field, like, you know, um, pricing. How do you price things? Well, you know, you make up the number. You figure it out. Like, you know, it's something you look in the market. You can follow some certain frameworks to do it, but really it's on you. Like, you can choose what you want it to be. Um, how do you make sure, like, you know, be, how do you, what does my website have to look like? What does my logo have to look like? What does, you know, so in, even simple things like that. Suddenly you're in the space where nothing is defined. Nothing is as it needs to be. You can just make it be. You can create what you want to create. And very often when I coach people who are making that transition or, you know, even team members who are coming in and making that transition and, you know, starting to work with me, they're like, how do we do this? Like, for example, one of my organizations is called Australian Professionals of Color. We're a community organization. Um, we started off pretty much as a social experiment a couple of years ago to see if professionals of color wanted to come in and talk about the issues they face in corporate Australia. Um, and it's been overwhelming. Like we've now registered as a public company registering as a not-for-profit. So in the two years, like we've had that journey of, you know, we've just created this out of thin air. Like this, there's nothing to tell us you can't do this. Um, right. And everything that we're creating. And so one of the things we did last year was we held the gala. We held the APOC gala, which is the first of its kind bringing professionals of color under one roof for a gala event and it was such a massive hit and one of the components of that event was an awards ceremony and we just created two awards like I didn't need anybody's permission to create awards to give people in the community who've done great work 
right? And usually we think, oh, my God, awards so coveted, you know, it's something that must have been ordained from somewhere. The reality is in this space, there is, you are the, you are the creator. You do what you need to do and see that then people resonate with that and people want to come and be part of it and, you know, want to nominate themselves for those awards and, you know, want to be recognized with those awards. You just, I, we just created it from thin air. Um, and I think that really helps in the mindset shift, right? So you bring a lot of that rules and, you know, you've got to have a, um, a way of doing things versus you set the way of doing things. And so you really have the power to change things. You don't have to do things a certain way if you don't want to do them. Um, and I think that really helps with that mindset shift with changing things. Yeah, it feels like it's now a good time just to move into sort of skills and qualities needed, maybe different from an employee to entrepreneur. Because the the word that you've used quite a bit is, and you refer to as your core value, is learning. How important is learning as an entrepreneur? You're, you're always learning <laughs> as an entrepreneur. I think, you know, you go through these stages of you, when you start as an entrepreneur, you're really just testing things and, you know, uh, trying to build things. But you, as you progress, and at every stage in your entrepreneurship journey, I think there's different learnings, there's different things that you learn, there's different ways of doing it. Like, for example, somebody I was coaching just yesterday, um, he said to me, you know, Sangeeta, I'm so lost. Like, I don't know anything about finances. I don't know anything about strategy. I just feel like I don't, I'm just blind, you know. I'm being, I'm leading into this dark alley and I don't know what's happening. And I'm like, so let's nut this out. You have two options here. You can build or you can buy. You can bring a CEO in, pay him money to run your company, somebody who has the skill sets, who've done, who's done this before, or you can build the skill sets yourself. And so wait, what do you think you want to do? Um, and his answer was, yeah, I hear you. Um, I said, but beware that you bring a CEO in, you have to report into the CEO. So you lose a bit of control. Whereas here, you've got the control and you can learn things and upskill yourself or surround yourself with the right service providers, the right people who can support you on the financial pathway, who can educate you along the way. And then in maybe a year's time, the conversation we're going to be having is quite different, right? Um, and so I think that journey of building constantly happens for an entrepreneur. You're constantly building. Like he's a fantastic founder. He's amazing product. They've already got traction in the market. They've got paying customers, all of that. And he's still feeling like he can't lead the organization or he can't lead because he doesn't have skill set in certain areas. Um, I think that's the piece for most people is, you know, there's always going to be gaps. There's always going to be places where you're not perfect or you're not, um, you know, learning. But I think you've got to sort of push yourself a little bit and see if you can learn and push that way. The, the key to that, though, is I like the concept of playing to your strengths. So I'm not the kind of person who would say, go chase your weaknesses. If finances are your weaknesses, then I would say, you know, give it a go because you've got to learn. You've still got to learn things. But I think at some point you've got to sort of say, here's where I need the experts to come in. Um, here's where I need, you know, support and help. I know what this means, but, you know, don't bring in help and support at a point where you'd know nothing about it and you feel like the, the, the expert is going to come and solve all your problems because they're not. It's your business. You know everything about your business. So you've got to put some effort in to learn a few things 
And then where you feel like this is it, here's where I need more help and support, bring people in to support you. But the ownership and accountability still sits with you as the founder of the business, as an entrepreneur. So I think the learning piece happens all the time. And as you grow, as you grow from maybe a, a, a single solo founder to a you know a six-person team, then as you grow to a 20-person team, as you go from being you know, $200 a month coming into your account to being like, you know, $10,000 coming into the account from customers versus a million dollars coming in. You're a different founder when you're a million dollar founder. You're a different founder when you're a $10,000 founder. And there's a learning that needs to happen between there and there. So I think there's always opportunities to learn and bridge the gap. Um, and I think as long as founders keep that um lens on that you know you you always got to learn it never stops um i think that's a core thing that's required in entrepreneurship i'll also link it back to what you said earlier about finding you know one of those challenges finding people in the networks because even from a an entrepreneurial startup perspective, you can say, well, hey, you're not an expert in the financial space. You need to have some understanding, but how about we get someone in from a building our network? Might be a commercial arrangement involved in that, but you're still building your network. There's a mentor that can help you and and you know, help you along the way to learn those things. So it all sort of becomes this nice, um, perfect world or entrepreneurial world that you're sitting in, depending on which way you look at that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's important to build things I talk about often, and I talk about it in my book as well, is being um, building your own personal board of directors. Um, you know, companies have board of directors, and the, the reason they have them is because they govern the organization. They sit at the top and have this big picture overview of this organization, and, you know, they provide advice and support and, you know, all of that strategic level, um, you know, inputs. And you sort of need that for yourself as well as an entrepreneur at some point. Like that could be somebody from your family, somebody from your friends, you know, pick a few people who you think can actually help you. And mentors, coaches, um, you know, people in outside of just friends and family, you know, people who probably walked the path before. Somebody who's doing exactly the same industry, but is perhaps maybe three years ahead of you. You know, they walk the path. They know what it takes. So bring them on. And build your own sort of personal board of directors that can, you know, when you need to sort of, when you need them as a soundboard, when you're feeling up and down, because the entrepreneurial journey is not like this. There's like, you know, it just goes in, in waves. And there are times when the lows are really low and the highs are really high. And you you just want the right people there to support you through that as well. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I want to touch on as we start to, close out is you mentioned rules and regulations and the ability to sort of adapt and not you know you are setting the rules how important that is a I'm not sure if we call that a skill or a character trait or something like that but how important is that from an entrepreneurial journey um I think as a founder most founders that I've met and spoken to I would say that they are people who want to set their own rules um I think they're people who are in this, and especially in the startup space, um, you know, there are people who, like if you ask me, I I don't know if I can go back and work for a boss anymore. Um, like, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I've been offered job opportunities in these last four years. And I, there's just this feeling inside me. It's like, 
No, you know. But ask me 10 years down the line, I don't know what I'm going to say. But, you know, but today that's where I'm at. And I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs are similar where they they value the autonomy. They value um, uh, the, the feeling of being empowered and feeling of being able to do and create things that they want to create. Um, I think some industries do, founders in some industries do have to follow some rules and regulations. I would say things like banking or, you know, insurance or the financial services pretty much, um, or legal, you know, there are certain rules that are in place in some of those industries where, you know, founders may have to stick to those rules a little bit. But I think the, the overall feeling of being able to build and create things that, you know, that make sense and that are valuable to you is a big part of an entrepreneur's identity. Um, and so it's very hard, I think, as it's, I, like you said, I don't know if it's a skill or it's a, you know, um, like even the corporates people used to, we, I remember this one session that we had where, you know, and they were like, okay, it was a, it was a, um, it was a, a day of workshopping skills and, and um, character traits. And one of the things they asked me was, one of the things they asked the group was, um, those who like to break the rules, though, you know, they divided the room and said, those who like to break the rules, go to the right. And those who like to, you know, stick to the rules, go to the left. And I sort of stood in the middle <laughs> and I was like, I'm in the middle here because, and they were like, so what? So why are you in the middle? And I'm like, because I don't break the rules, but I bend the rules. <laughs> you know, and that, I bend them, but I don't stick to them. So you said, I'm in the middle. Yeah. But I think I, and that was my identity then. I think here in the entrepreneurial identity, that bending the rules, I think, has pushed a little bit further into the breaking the rules, but not fully there yet. Um, but I think creating my own rules is something that I really enjoy. So I think that's um, a skill set that I see most entrepreneurs enjoy as well, is just you know, being able to create things. And so if, if they didn't, things like Uber, Facebook, you know, any of these large companies who have really defied the norms of how things work and how people work, um, I think those wouldn't come about um, if people didn't actually break the rules or make their own rules. It seems to link back to another word you've used a number of times, which is choice. So you also referred to when you were talking about choice, you work hard as an employee, bank director, and lots of people do out there, lots of hardworking people. We also work hard as entrepreneurs. We We sort of feel we have to, we've got to make ends meet and it's all on us and stuff. So What's the difference between working hard as an employee, working hard as an, as an entrepreneur? Is it that freedom of choice that gives that drive? Yeah, I think freedom of choice, the fact that you can see, I think um, a common misconception out there is people think people jump into entrepreneurship to make money. The honest truth is the money comes a long time later. Um, before then, there's a lot of hard yards. There's a lot of work that needs to go in. There's a lot of testing, trial, failure, a lot of that that comes along, right? And so I think there's, um, and, and people still keep pushing through with that, even though they're failing. Like I've failed so many times, so many times, so many of my businesses have failed. Um, so the ones that I run today are, are doing well, but the ones that I've tried and tested, I mean, you know, there's many that I've just shut down. And I think that's, I think the the drive is so, for me particularly, I think is, more about being able to create things, being able to create something that didn't exist or create something that adds value to other people, makes a difference in other people's lives. Um, that's the reason I coach, I mentor, and I do these things is because 
and there's a lot of it is pro bono because it's just I'm just interested in helping you because I love new ideas. I love new, um, you know, when people come to me and say, "Hey, Singh, I've got this great idea." I'm like, "Yeah, tell me more." Um, you know, I'm happy to I'm happy to sit down there and then you know if I really like it, I'm like, I'm happy to give you some advice if you need my help. Like, reach out anytime and you know things like because I just enjoy that process of ideating with people, building things, helping them do things. Um, which I think when you're in, when you work hard in, in a corporate role, you're sort of working hard to meet an objective that is, that you're a part of. You're not creating the objectives. You're sort of in a, and it's nice, like it's in a teamwork. And to be honest, I don't want to come across like I'm bashing corporate jobs. I think that's important. For me, it was a very important uh, period of my life where, you know, it offered me what I needed at that point in my life. Um but after a point in time, it no longer served me being in those roles. And so, you know, this is what serves my uh, inner um, satisfaction and fulfillment a lot better, the entrepreneurial journey. But at that point in time, I think um, being an employee served me really well because it offered me the financial stability that I needed at that point. It offered me, you know, the skill sets, like all the skills that I've built over the FOI journeys, what I've brought in here which means that I don't have to work hard from the ground of building skill sets here. I'm still building skill sets, but you know, I've got some certain skill sets that I can transfer over that really work in my favor. Um, and so I think working hard as an employee is important because I think you, you build a lot of things, skill sets and other things, but the difference is you're working for somebody, you're working for somebody else's vision, for somebody else's outcome. Um, you never feel 100% ownership of it ever. Uh, it doesn't matter. Even if you're the CEO, you're still an employee. Um, you know, and whereas in your own business, you know what you want to build out of it. And if you need to change pathways, there's nobody else you need to ask. There's nobody else that you need to, you know. Um, of course, as you grow bigger, you might have a board of directors. You might have a lot of those other aspects come in that may sort of uh, outweigh outweighed and then you start feeling like an employee in your own business that can happen as well but I'm talking about the early stages I think there's a lot of excitement uh, for me to be able to do what I want to do and work really hard and it's not like I work any less hours now I probably work more hours than I used to uh, in my corporate um, but it's just the thrill of seeing something that you're working so hard towards come to life and you know add value to other people to you know to add to really um, to get things from people like to, the reason I started entrepreneurship was because my husband made the move uh, my husband's a personal trainer so he made the move into entrepreneurship and while I was still an employee and one of the things that I would see him do is uh, he's a personal trainer and he get he used to get these notes and he went into corporates as well and then he made the shift into being a personal trainer and he would get these thank you letters from people every week pretty much saying you've saved my life you know he would treat people in their cancer or help them with their obesity or, you know, things like that. And they, he, they would literally write to him and send thank you notes and cards and messages. Every week he'd be getting a message or a note from somebody saying, you know, I couldn't have achieved this without you. Like, thank you for saving my life. And I was like, oh my God, like that's impactful work. And that's the kind of work I want to do for other people too. Like, you know, um, and I think so working hard for that, um, it, it's very satisfying, I feel. Um, so it's different. I don't know if I've answered your question, Brendan, but I think it's just the, the working hard is different, 
it, and both give you things, but it's just what they give you is different. So much of what you said has resonated absolutely. And I think the the choice to choose to to use some words that we've used throughout the episode today, the the choice in order to um, have some freedom around that to have an impact on people's lives and then to get some feedback, the loop back of people actually appreciating that is immensely satisfying and continues to give you that drive moving forward. I guess my own, my own very short sort of journey, but the other thing that resonates is the work ethic side of things, absolutely, and the learning because in my own journey, I started working full-time. I was 19, so that was the very first time I had a full-time job, but all I knew how to do was I had a work ethic that was strong and I knew that I always wanted to learn. And those two things just set me up for everything that I was able to achieve and everything that I was able to take opportunities with. I had no idea when I was 19 that I wanted to do what I was doing today. Podcasting didn't exist. Coaches weren't a dime a dozen back then. It was you know a, a nothing. So it's it's just so much power in what you what you're saying, and, and it's, again, so much simplicity. But like so many things that are simple, it's the discipline and the application and repeating those things and being consistent around it, which is super important. The other thing, saying Gita, which again we're not going to unpack today, but I sense what has come through as I've listened to you today and what you shared is if I if I look at the Australian Professionals of Color, which you've mentioned, the organisation that you founded, you have a strong purpose around that, like your own journey linked to that and your ability to want to change people's lives and help people, particularly maybe coming from migrant backgrounds, to help them have an easier start. They're still going to work their butts off, absolutely, and they will, but you're helping giving them a slightly easier path to that. And that's really powerful stuff in your own journey. That's that's what I sense. Yeah. So um, it's a very interesting journey with the Australian Professionals of Colour. So my co-founder, Viniti, came to me um, a couple of years ago in 2021 and she said hey Sangeeta I want to start a mentor walks for women of color um, so mentor walks for those who don't know is something that happens in Melbourne where you know people come together for a morning walk um, and you know there's mentors and there's mentees and they sort of you know chat with each other it happens once a month um, and so she wanted but we don't see a lot of people of color yeah, in those mentor walks and so when she came to me she said I want to do this for women of color it was June, it was the middle of winter, and I was like, I don't think anybody's waking up at 6 a.m. to come for a mentor walk at 6 a.m. in the morning. And this was just... Not in Melbourne either. <laughs> right? And so it was like just in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and I said, but why do you want to do it? And so she, you know, narrated her journey around how she's had not the easiest journey in her employment in Australia. And some of the things that people told her were you will, ne- you will never climb the ladder because of your cultural values of respect. You don't speak up in meetings or, you know, things like that. Um, and she's from an Indian background. So, in, you know, from an Indian background, people are usually grown to, you know, uh, there's a hierarchical aspect to it. There's always, you know, you don't, um, you don't uh, speak up against seniors, uh, senior people, somebody senior in the hierarchy. In an open forum, you would go, you know, later and talk to them separately if you had to and, you know, things like that. So so she was sort of um, criticized for that. And, you know, she was passed over for promotions because of those things, for because of her own country values, um, which is unfortunate because it has nothing to do with her competency. Um, and so she was really, you know, passionate about helping other women go, who've gone through this. Um, and I was in the other spectrum. I was on a talent program. I don't like in hindsight, I now feel like, oh, okay, this is what people meant when they said these things. But, you know, I'd never really felt 
that in my journey, like I'm always a person who's very focused on my goals. And once I'm, once I have a goal, I put my blinders on them after and I don't care what other people say about me. I don't care what goes on around me as such. Um, and so I feel like, you know, we came from two ends of the same sort of stick and um, where I was like, but there's more people who can do and can achieve what I've achieved. But unfortunately, there are things that stop them and we need to sort of work that out. And I said, and she was like, yeah, there's people who are feeling and suddenly let's, let's test it out. We probably can't do a walk, but let's just open up a Facebook group and call our people and friends and family in and start some conversations and see what happens. And pretty much that's how APOC started, uh, Australian Professionals of Colour. And um, and I was like, I'm not, you know, I, I think men go through a similar process as well. It's not just women. Um, I think other genders have similar issues. So let's just call it Australian Professionals of Colour. And so that's really how that journey started. But um, eventually it's come to a point where we're looking at helping people maximize their potential. So helping, really helping people climb that corporate ladder without really feeling um, like yeah, there's bias, there's discrimination, there's racism. All of that exists in Australia. I think people don't acknowledge it enough. Um, and once you acknowledge it, you can then start fixing it. Um, but I think the fact that most people, most people of color as well, don't acknowledge it because it's it's not accepted widely enough. And so what they do is when they when they have instances of being, you know, racially harassed or being, you know, discriminated against or you know having um, attacked because of their culture, they tend to go back home, cry to their spouses, and that's pretty much it. There's nobody else out there that they can actually sit down and share these experiences with. Um, and so this is why the community was formed, was to help people come out and speak up about things and say, okay, what can we do together um, to fix it? Um, it's not a space for people to come in and complain and complain and complain, but it's like the lens is, how do we fix it? How do we help you get better at whatever you need to get better at um, from a skill set perspective? And on the other end, how do we actually go into workplaces and bring the concept of cultural intelligence into workplaces? I think we don't talk enough about cultural intelligence in this country, but we we have over just in Melbourne alone over two hundred ethnicities, um, and we still don't talk enough about cultural intelligence. You know, leaders are put in positions to manage multicultural teams, but they're never coached about. Hey, you've got somebody from Korea in your team. Do you even know what goes on in Korea? Do you even have any idea how that person grew up? Uh, there is no cultural curiosity in Australia. People don't sit down and ask somebody who's a migrant, so what cartoons did you grow up with? You know, what did you watch? They they often talk about all the shows that, that happened in Australia, and I'm coming from India. I have no clue about these shows. I have no clue about the adverts that happened in 1997, right? And these are the topics that people talk about at social gatherings, and this is why people feel like they don't belong. Migrants feel like they don't belong. They feel like they feel left out or they feel secluded, Um and then they feel like they're misunderstood. Um, and so there's a lot of these aspects that we're trying to bring into organizations to just spark cultural curiosity, spark a bit of cultural intelligence within organizations and empower leaders and people um, to look at cultural intelligence as a skill set that they need to have if they want to lead multicultural teams. I know I'm super passionate about this. <laughs> I gave you a long-winded answer. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like I, I can... I absolutely have huge respect and you, I don't see you as a woman of a color. I see you as a woman of action, which is the most important thing. You're taking action to do something about these things. But what resonates with me is to me, it's not even 
I, I have some understanding of what you're saying. Absolutely. I'm not experiencing myself, but where I have experienced that feeling of awkwardness and not belonging is I spent time in the UK many years ago and was working over there for a couple of years. And it was really probably the first 12 months of that. I did feel that I didn't belong in conversations because I didn't know the TV shows that were in the UK. I didn't know the ads. I didn't know some of the, and that was a, an Aussie white man with, I guess, colonial you know, English heritage going to an English place. And I, I didn't feel like I belonged. It took me 12 months to be able to contribute to the conversation in some meaningful way. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can imagine how hard for people coming from, you know, uh, as far as say Colombia or Paraguay or, you know. Absolutely. Mar- Absolutely. South Africa. They don't know so seeing Gita, let me ask, let me ask you, what, what cartoons did you watch? I'm very interested. <laughs> Oh, there's so many shows. Um, uh, the one that I can remember now is uh, Tom and Jerry. Obviously, that was like you know a a But also, I mean, you know, when I was growing up, but um, my my father was running a business, and my mom was not yet in business from the time that I'm talking about, which is when I was maybe four or five. Um, and TV was a new thing in India. Um, and so we had this, you know, these channels, we just had one channel, um, and everything would play on that. And so, you know, cartoons were not something that were there every day or we could watch when we wanted to, like now people can watch cartoons all the time <laughs> if they wanted to, right? Um, and so, yeah, so it was, you know, classic cartoons for what would play on TV, um, I'm often asked if you know Indians can speak English, and I'm like, yeah, if we grew up speaking English, I was I was educated in English all my life, so you know these misconceptions you happen. Speak better English than me, thank you. <laughs> no, I have to say, like, uh, I have to say, like, you know, when I when I when I say, oh, we, we used to watch Tom and Jerry, was it in your local language? No, it was in English. <laughs> I watched Tom and Jerry in English. Oh, you know, you didn't need language because it was a, it was a silent cartoon, <laughs> you know, but. Um, and things like that. And then when I was growing up a little bit more, I think it was, I don't know if you remember this show, Small Wonder. Um, I don't it, know. Yeah. So there was this little girl who was as a robot. American shows, I think, were more popular um, in India. I used to watch a lot of American shows on TV. Um, and then there was a lot of Indian local language shows that would go on. So, you know, like the, the classics being Mahabharata and Ramayan, which are uh, epic tales from India. Um, so those would come on every Sunday, um, every Sunday morning, the whole family would gather in front of the TV and watch these shows. So yeah. Beautiful times. I hope and give, I hope I've given you an opportunity to reminisce a little bit. <laughs> yes, you have. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sangeeta, I know our time is, is running short. So like we ask all of our guests as our final question, what's the one thing that's helped you become a more confident leader? That's a very interesting question. Um, it's all up to think about this. <laughs> but I think for me, um, the opportunity to work with many different kinds of people um, over time, I think, uh, is what helps me be a more conf- confident leader. Um, and I think the key piece that I would point out maybe is the value of being able to give back. I think for me, giving is probably the key piece. So when I approach things, for me, it's like, what can I give? Um, whether it's a conversation, whether it's a, um, you know, I'm speaking at an event or whether I'm leading a team of people, it comes from a place of what is it that I can give? 
Um, and I think that makes me more confident because when I think of it more as what can I give, it's I have control over it. Um, and so that creates confidence in me as a person. Music to my ears, Sangeeta. It's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you very much for contributing and sharing your thoughts around and based on real experience that employed to entrepreneur journey. Uh, fascinating stuff. Once again, thanks for being a fantastic guest on the Cultural Leadership today. Thank you, Brendan. Really enjoyed it. As I moved up the corporate ladder, my experiences were similar to Sangeeta's. Most senior leaders are invested in themselves and not others. At the Cultural Leadership, you work hard every day to change that. These are my three key takeaways from my conversation with Sangeeta. My first key takeaway, confident leaders go play politics. They prioritise the needs of the team and don't manipulate situations for personal gain. In my own experience of working with leaders in large organisations, insecure leaders play politics, confident leaders don't. My second key takeaway, confident leaders own their destiny. And being the master of your own fate isn't exclusive to entrepreneurship. You don't have to be an entrepreneur to chart your own course. Even as an employee, you can seize control, shape your path, and own your destiny. My third key takeaway, confident leaders build a circle of trust. This is a hand-picked group that's a trusted sounding board. It includes mentors, coaches, or confidants. People who offer development insights and timely advice. Leveraging the circle of trust means confident leaders receive the right support at the right time. So in summary, my three key takeaways were confident leaders don't play politics, confident leaders own their destiny, and confident leaders build a circle of trust. Let me know your key takeaway on YouTube or at thecultureofleadership.com. Thanks for joining me, and remember, the best outcome is on the other side of a genuine conversation.